Welcome to Carefully Taught, teaching musical theater with Maddie and Kikau. A podcast to discuss musical theater pedagogy and to create a community of sharing amongst musical theater educators. Feel free to email us at carefullytaughtpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at carefullytaughtpodcast. So I, I am so excited about this episode of Carefully Taught, teaching musical theater with Maddie and Kikau because some of my favorite human beings are all in the same Zoom room. Um, and that doesn't happen very often. I've had a little bit of a bonkers morning. And so this is like going to really ground me to be with humans who I love and respect. Um, but we have the, you know, members of the creative team of the upcoming must see limited engagement production of Between the Lines, a new musical that is premiering this uh, summer in New York City. I already have my tickets for June 23. 3rd? 22nd. 22nd or 23rd. I'll be there at the Wednesday matinee, um, and I am beside myself. Um, so we're just going to go around the Zoom room. We've got one person that's probably going to join us in a little bit. Um, but uh, it, could we just could we just have you introduce yourselves and tell us who you are? Sure. I'm Jody Pico. I am a novelist, and I co-wrote the source material called Between the Lines with my daughter, Sammy. Um, I'm Kate Anderson, and I co-wrote the score for the show with Elisa Samso. And that's me. Hi, I'm Elisa Samso, and I, as Kate said, am one of the composer lyricists on the show Between the Lines. Can you tell us a little bit about Between the Lines and what it is and where it came from, um, and then how this this project got started. Well, I'll take this one. <laughs> so so uh, Between the Lines is the story of a young girl named Delilah McPhee, who is having a, a pretty remarkable, tough time in life. Her parents have split up in a very messy divorce. Um, she's in a new school. Uh, she's being bullied. Her mom is working all the time, and she has no relationship with her. And she finds solace, like many of us do, in books. And in particular, she relates to a prince in a children's fairy tale um, because his circumstances really speak to her. And then one day, so does he, literally. And she finds out that he wants out of his story just as much as she does. And that's sort of the framework for Between the Lines. And the book actually, you know, it, it was written years ago, as I said, with my daughter, and when we published it, I didn't feel like we were done yet. The, the only way I can describe it is that the book sang to me and I really thought it should be musical. And um, so I started to look into how to adapt it as a musical. And I am so incredibly proud of the fact that I found Samsel Anderson um, of the whole Between the Lines team. I'm the one who located, found them and gets to help them make their big theatrical debut in New York because they are amazing. Yeah, she found us when we were just wee little writers. We had written one full-length show, um, and we were just dying for that first professional opportunity. And I think it's safe to say that the day that we got an email from best-selling author Jody Picot, Picot is the pronunciation, but it looks like Picolt, um, we, uh, that changed our lives forever. It really did. And when she sent us the book, we automatically 
resonated with the story or the story resonated with us rather um, because we um, I personally was the age that Delilah was in the book when my parents got divorced so it spoke to me about the time that she was going through and uh, we were both drawn to the mother-daughter story within um, between the lines and there are so few mother-daughter stories represented on Broadway especially uh, stories about mother daughters or women written by women. So it really hit home with us that this could be that opportunity for us to tell a story about a mother and daughter uh, written by women. And so exciting. You know, for me, when, when I think about that, and I think of the, the limited number of stories, not just of mothers and daughters, but also of young girls that make it to Broadway. The truth is that the gatekeepers in this industry are mostly men. And because of that, we have a million Dear Evan Hansons and Be More Chills, but we don't have a lot about young girls coming of age. And, you know, that's a pretty core musical theater audience, right? I mean, when I was a kid, I was singing all the albums in my bathroom. And, you know, I I think that um, being able to represent that on a stage for, for young women who deserve to see their stories told is incredibly important. Can you talk a little bit about the development of each musical moment? You said that the the book, you know, really sang to you. And I'm just curious to know, um, at what moment did you say, this is a song and, 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 or even about the editing process, perhaps maybe this song needed to become a scene or something else. Is there anything you share along that line? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there were a few things that jumped out immediately. And it's funny because I look now back at my old copy of Between the Lines and like the very first things I underlined were sort of what became the very first songs. Um, so that would be our, the first song we wrote was a duet um, for Delilah and Jules. And it's called The Enemy of Ally McAndrews. And that's literally a sentence out of the book is like, when you're the enemy of Ally McAndrews, you know, you're like, you're stuck in social Siberia. And I just remember circling that on the train on the way to have dinner with Jody. And before Elisa and I got there, I was like, wouldn't that be such a cool, like punk sort of inspired duet? And like, it would be like, when you're the enemy of Ally McAndrews. And that literally is what we sat down in the first thing that we wrote. And it's, and it's still in the show today. Um, and from there, the other two songs we wrote on spec, that's what you do when you're trying to get a job. You, you write um, and you put all your hopes and dreams into, <laughs> into the songs that you are hoping will get you the gig. And, uh, and we wrote that one. And we wrote a song called Between the Lines. That's a duet for Delilah and Oliver. Um, also still in the show. Um, and then uh, we wrote Delilah's big act one finale um, ballad, which is called A Whole New Story. Um, and those are all still in the show. Um, and those all just leapt off the page at us. Um, and if you if you look at the original YA novel, it's, it's so many parts of those songs are just like verbatim ripped from those pages because it was just such, it was just truly dying to sing. Um, and then, yeah, I'll let, I'll let other people speak to it too. And, and also the many, 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 many songs that we have cut from this music. <laughs> um, I will say that, you know, for people who don't know the process of creating a musical, 
for all three of those spec songs to still be in the musical is ridiculous. That very rarely happens, which kind of, I think, speaks to how well Kate and Elisa understood the material and the assignment. You know, as soon as they got it, they were right there. They, they, they knew exactly what we were trying to do, um, which is, you know, indicative of the way they approach all their work. But um, uh, I joke around about all we have. This has been a journey, a real writing journey. And we have gone in many different directions and reined it in and, and made changes and had feedback from so many different people that we actually have written in a circle. And because of that, we had many songs that are terrific songs that were cut. And all I really want is the trunk show of, you know, between the lines cut songs at Studio 54. That's what I'm holding out for. <laughs> could workshop it at, at Chico. Chico State, you, it's your playground whenever you're ready. Um, so this project started, I think, I think you mentioned like eight years ago. So um, there's a, uh, I'm, I'm curious, Jody, taking credit for discovering these two incredible humans and, 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 and yeah, providing them with this opportunity. What was that process like? How did you, where did you find them? I mean, they were already writing together. You said they'd written one full length uh, project, yeah. but what was that kismet moment? We were in a box on the side of the street and it was yeah, and labeled free like Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it said free. It just said free. And then we were inside it. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I didn't know, I'd, I'd written musicals, full-length musicals for a teen theater group that I run in New Hampshire, but this, I wanted to be like a whole different level kind of. And so I, I really had no idea how you go about turning something into a musical. And um, I wound up, Daryl Roth was in a way mentoring me through that process. And she suggested that I talk to her uh, entertainment lawyer of all people who did not bill me for the time he talked to me. And I know a miracle. And, um, and he basically said, well, you know, you want to try to find songwriters and yes, Alan Menken will write your show for a certain amount of money, but he's not going to get to it for 20 years. And so he, he suggested that I look for up and coming songwriters, which sounded amazing to me. And I really wanted to work with women because of this particular story. And so the first place that I went to was to um, the BMI workshop where Kate and Elisa were at the time. And I spoke to, it's Pat Cook. Is that right? Yeah. I spoke to Pat and I said, you know, here's the pitch. Here's the story. Do you have anyone that you would recommend? And he said, Samsel Anderson. And at the same time, I had this other connection to the musical theater world through my son, Jake, who at the time was at Yale and he was in the first production of Avenue Q that was being done at Yale. And so they had all had a chance to interact with Bobby Lopez. And um, he got me Bobby's contact information. Bobby really is like the nicest human in, so in show business. And I sent him the book and he wrote me back and said, you know, this is going to sound really self-serving, but my wife's sister is a lyricist and she and her writing partner, this is just right up their alley. I said, oh, what are their names? And he said, Samsel Anderson. And that kind of felt like fate, right? So, you know, when two people are recommending the exact same team. Um, and, you know, I still remember coming to this restaurant to meet Kate and Elisa, and they had the book and it was covered with highlighter. They had, they had gone through that book so carefully. And I remember thinking, 
they love this story as much as I do. In those eight years, um, I don't know. I don't know that we can really refer to this powerhouse duo as up and coming anymore. I mean, your resume now has stacked with some pretty exciting projects that you've worked on. I'm wondering, Kate, Elisa, uh, could you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done in the course of those eight years? Yeah. um, And... I think for the record, we'll always feel up and coming just because I think that's a very common thing is no matter how much you do, I don't know, in probably any field, but you never quite feel like, you know, there's still always a lot more to do and accomplish. But after writing a, uh, a bulk of the um, the score for Jody in between the lines, we had a lot of material to show. Um, and so we were really fortunate because the next thing we did was audition for Disney when they were um, looking for songwriters for a Frozen spinoff called Olaf's Frozen Adventure. And because we had all of this music for Jody, we were able to send them spec material and they liked it. So then they asked us to write some um, material for them to audition. So it was a great calling card. And I think that that's something that's really important for anyone out there who's thinking of writing or wants to be a writer. The more material you have to show for it, you know, you can be as lucky as anyone in the world or know as many people or be as well connected, but having the work to show for it is always really important, which is why Kate and I were always just writing, 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 like our lives depended on it. Um, so we were lucky enough to book that Olaf's frozen adventure job. And then because of that, we met Josh Gad, who, I don't know if you know, he does this little voice called Olaf. He's a, it's a snowman. He's kind of popular. Um, anyway, he's like, we were his biggest fans. And when we got to meet him in person, we hit it off. And then he eventually offered us the chance to write on a show called Central Park, which we've now completed three seasons of. Uh, season two is now out fully on Apple TV Plus And The third season will be coming out next year, which is very exciting to write three seasons of any television show feels like, you know, too good to be true. Um, And now we are uh, very privileged to be writing two more shows with Jody and Tim. So you can tell that we ended up really loving each other through those eight years because now we've got three shows as a writing team with Jody and Tim McDonald, who just joined us. Hello, Tim. Gentlemen, I am so sorry. I have been stuck on the subway this whole time. Tell us who you are. I, my name is Timothy Allen McDonald, and I am a playwright and an educator. And uh, um, I love all things musical theater, and I have since I was about 10 and a half years old. Tim, welcome. I'm so sorry that you were stuck on the subway. Um, it's nice to see you. Uh, we were talking about that eight year gap between starting this musical and and we've arrived to this moment now and I, I think we need to acknowledge or at least kind of talk about what happened pre-pandemic right you were all sort of set to go and then there was this big break and then there was the decision to, to bring it back so can you talk me through that um and I'll start with you Tim because you haven't been with us it was a wild roller coaster because uh, Jody and I and our director, Jeff Calhoun, were at Ariel Jacobs, who plays um, our, our principal role. Um, and we were at her wedding and in Tulum. 
And that when we came back from that, um, everybody at our table at the reception, except for Jody, contracted COVID. Um, so we, you know, by March 13th, Friday the 13th, we were all like, I don't feel good. And but we were supposed to start rehearsals also that same time. Um, I remember getting back from the wedding, we had to cast um, a new prince. And so we were we were in the studio doing that. Masks were sort of a thing, but not a thing. It's all such a blur. And then it all just stopped. It just stopped. And we had no idea um, whether we would come back at all, quite honestly, for a, for a long time. I mean, it was like months and months and months, like maybe a year before we got the good news that we were back on track. But in the meantime, I just jumping in here, it gave us an opportunity to let uh, the recipe of our musical sort of set up a little bit more and point out the stuff that we were always like, mm, never really loved that. And the stuff that we were like, this isn't valid anymore because the world changed in that, in those two years radically and quickly. And we wanted to make sure that the show reflected that change. Well, and you and, and Jody also had another musical project that took life in that period too. I mean, might be a, can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So uh, Jody couldn't figure out how to write a novel about the pandemic. She couldn't find her way into it. Um, and Jody is um, the most prolific, get it done human being. She makes me feel totally lazy. And I am not a lazy human being at all. But she makes me feel like all I do is like sit at home and watch soap operas and eat bonbons. And but she couldn't find a way into a novel. And we were talking through the pandemic like three or four times a day and then it just sort of hit us that we were living in a moment of history that needed to be chronicled and it needed to be chronicled while it was happening so we came up with four short stories um, that we would use as the basis of a musical we hired uh, different songwriting teams um, to create songs for that um and it was interesting during the process the, the show is called breathe. And um, in the process of creating it, the George Floyd murder happened. And we realized we were missing another important component of the story that was absolutely a product of the pandemic. And um, so then we brought in Doug Lyons and um, the rest of those folks to, um, to write a fifth piece. And it, we put this beautiful piece of theater up. We filmed it at the 92nd Street Y without an audience. Um, it was streamed all over the place. And the most, and uh, Mr. Maddie, um, Chico State was, I think, the first um, university anyone to perform the piece. And it was so insightful for us to pop into those Zooms and watch the young people take on this material. And so helpful. And, um, the cool news and really exciting news is that it was inducted into the Library of Congress um, just not too long ago to represent artists' uh, response to the pandemic. So it will live in those hallowed halls forever so that when there's another something like that, God forbid, the universe forbid, um, people could go back and see like, well, how did they handle you know, the stifling of their art form during these troubling times? Hopefully that when doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm, with you. I'm with you. Ho hopefully not. You know, you, um, that is really so inspiring and so amazing. Uh, 
You had mentioned um, in this conversation, Jeff Calhoun, we talked about Ariel Jacobs. Can you share a little bit about some of the exciting artists, the young artists um, that are on this project that, that folks I'm sure are looking forward to seeing on stage? Oh man, I mean, we just, we just finalized our casting. Um, it just was announced a couple of days ago. And it's a, it's a tight piece of theater. It's, and so everybody is playing not only dual roles, but also more than dual roles in some cases. And we, we wrote it that way purposefully. So everyone has to be super flexible. They have to be, you know, they have to be able to sing, act, and dance like triple threats or like have mad comedy chops or, you know, something like, you know, just... It, it, there, it's an incredible, wonderful, lovely cast. We go into rehearsals in, um, gosh, seven, what, nine days, ten? A week from Tuesday. Something scary and exciting like that. All I know is I have to pack. Excited <laughs> and scared. <laughs> you know, I'd shout out names who, I'd shout out who I'm really excited to work with. But it's, it wouldn't be fair because as soon as I would say one name, I'd be like, oh, but then we have this person. Oh, but then we have this person. Like, it's... it's Yeah. It's uh, a tremendous cast. Yeah. It's an incredible mix of, of um, seasoned pros like Julia Murney and Vicki Lewis, who we just, like, are pinching ourselves that are <laughs> there in our cast. And then we've got um, some just, like, incredible young actors who are who are semi-new to the scene, who I, this might be an off-Broadway debut in a few cases. And, um, and we're just, but everybody is just exceptional. So we're really, really excited. So this um, limited engagement must see exciting project. When does it start performances? When does it have its official opening? I know it's this summer. I know when I am going, but, uh, you know, what is the, what is the run time, uh, the, the dates and how do people get tickets? So we start our performances, our previews begin June 14th and we open on June 26th and we run till October 2nd and it's at the Tony Kaiser theater at second stage. And you can get your tickets at between the lines, um, I should also, in a very self-serving manner, say that uh, I will be there doing a bunch of talkbacks as well, um, so that they're they're listed on the website. But if you want to come and see a great show and then listen a little bit to the, what it means to develop a show from a novel, um, I'll be hanging around after to talk to people. That is so exciting. Um, you know, this is, as, as Maddie mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, a podcast that serves um, this uh, academia, um, young students, young performers interested in in getting into the business, and um, I'm. This is a sort of open ended question, but uh, you know what? What do you think um, they need to know as a young performer interested in doing uh, a new musical or, or doing musical theater at all? What's something that you would like small. To, to share with them? Yeah, Starting start small, small. Start small. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to, you know, come up with a question that could uh, someone would be inspired to respond to. Any words of advice? As someone who's outside the musical theater community and just starting to dip my toe into it, one thing that I think is really important is that, oh, I'm so sorry about that. Hang on a second. <laughs> Hello, is it Broadway? Are they calling? Oh, no, sadly, just my mother. Um, oh. but, 
<laughs> but um, I, uh, I say that, that uh, there's so many kids that I work with in, at my theater troupe in New Hampshire who assume that the only way into Broadway is to come in as the lead, you know, and there are so many roles in the theater community that I think people don't even think about, whether it's through musical theater education, whether it's working behind the scenes, backstage, doing things like marketing for Broadway, um, doing, you know, what Kate and Elisa do. Uh, there are just so many avenues that you can be part of this incredible industry. Uh, it isn't all just through taking a role and shining. Just really quick to piggyback off of Jody's incredible advice there. Um, I went to a musical theater acting conservatory with the dream of doing what Jody just said, which was being the lead in something and acting. But they were constantly saying, and I don't know which teachers it I don't even remember where this was coming from, but I always heard create your own work, create your own work, create your own work. And I think that they were saying that as in like, do a one woman show, do a one man show, do whatever show where it's like, you know, put yourself out there and, and create whatever you want to be doing. But that can mean anything. And I'm so glad that I heard those three words, create your own work, because I think that definitely led me on the path to then meet Kate and then thereby create our own work. Yeah. And just to jump off of that, um, I, I think where Elisa and I come from as writers when we have something that we want to develop, um, the four of us, Jody, Tim, Lisa, myself, will sit down and be like, okay, we are going to do a workshop. Who do we know? Who would we want in the room that is incredibly flexible, picks up material easily, and is just also a lovely person that we want to continue to work with? And those are the first phone calls we make. And if I were moving to New York right now to be an actor, um, one thing I would do is try to befriend people who are in these writing workshops because they're always working on new things. And oftentimes when you get to um, the second year and the third year in BMI, you're allowed to bring in outside performers to come sing your work. And that is an incredible place for people to hear your talents and go, oh my gosh, so-and-so had so-and-so sing their song. I love them so much. I want to use them. And then another connection is made. And then before you know it, you're doing workshops for all these people's work. And I've seen so many careers blossom that way, where they just knew a whole mess of people who are creating work and they would do the 54 below shows and then they'd be doing the workshop. And eventually it led to them having a role in the actual production when it happened. So that's a really, really good avenue in. And um, yeah, this incredible network of, of writers. And I think it's worth saying too, Kate, to piggyback on that. When you do workshops, very often you wind up with the project by the time it gets to the finish line. We have two characters in between the lines named Martin and Janice, because those are friends of, of ours who were in the workshop at the beginning. And Martin, as a matter of fact, is one of our understudies for the off-Broadway run. So, you know, he's- On the, the very first reading- 
Mm-hmm. So, Kate and Elisa, I think I've mentioned to you before, I've got about an A-flat, you know, second tenor, I mean, baritone. Um, the, Tim, I w- you have a very interesting perspective on musical theater education beyond your work on Between the Lines. You, I mean, truly have your finger on the pulse of what is happening in musical theater education at all ages. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about where musical theater education is and where, where do you think that we've got room to grow? Again, post-pandemic, we're ready to hear new stories. And we're, we're ready to hear stories from underrepresented points of view. And one of the things that drew me to Between the Lines is that at the center of the story is a 17-year-old girl named 20 musicals about young ladies. Um, You can name tons about young men, um, but it's an underrepresented point of view. And then on top of that, we've populated this world with themes and ideas and thoughts that feel way more like a step towards 2022 and beyond than they do a hearkening towards the past. And so I'm, I know that I'm, I, what I'm hearing from young people, college age kid and kids and younger is that there, there's this gap where it's like, why? I love The King and I, sure, but isn't there a story that actually speaks to something that is familiar to me? And so I see that as, as from, a, from a writing point of view and then how that will trickle into educational theaters that we need different stories to be told. And um, it takes so long to make a new musical. It can be eight years to the rest of your life. Um, it just takes a long time to get these things represented. So... I'm really excited about that. Beyond that, we're, I think we're all, I know that we're all looking at um, DEI and how does that apply and what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what does this mean? It's evolving. What I'm excited about in this world is that it's starting to take shape. I'm seeing flexibility around it, which means that it's going to stay with us versus if it were super rigid, um, and I also see people uh, having a lot more um, conversations versus arguments. And I think that's very helpful, too. And if I can add up to that, one of the things that I'm most proud of about Between the Lines and one of the things that happened as a result of the pandemic is that um, one of our actresses, uh, the amazing Morgan Javon Green, left to become the lead in the tour of Town, And she had been with the production for several years and when she left, it, it gave us a chance to look at the role, the role she was playing, Jules, and figure out if we wanted to make any changes to it. And one of the things that we decided to do was to make Jules a non-binary character and to um, then hire a non-binary actor. And Tim and I did a really deep dive talking to non-binary individuals, learning that it's a very different experience for different people and the way it's defined is very different for different people. And so we tried to um, come up with something that would, would fit our character and created this role. And we have an astounding non-binary actor named Ren Rivera, who is going to be playing that part. Um, And I just can't wait to see them in the role. I think it's going to be great. And I think it's also, as Tim said, it sometimes theater is such a great way to be a very gentle educator and to start a conversation that you might not have had, and particularly theater like Between the Lines, where you might get a teenager going to see it with a parent, and the teenager at this point probably is much more 
versatile and fluent in what gender representation means than the parent. And this is a really great way to have that discussion continue when you leave the theater and go to dinner. Oh, that is so exciting. That is amazing. How incredible. Um, because, you know, we say this often, but just representation, it acts, it really does matter. And I'm, I get goosebumps to think about, um, audience members that are able to see themselves on stage and to be inspired and then to create their own art. So I'm, I really do commend all of you for that. Um, we typically end every episode with uh, a recommendation. Now we know what the ultimate recommendation is to come and see between the lines. Um, but I'm wondering if there's anything else that, that you might uh, want to, to sort of shout out. Is there, is there something, is there a book, is there a, a, a Netflix show you're watching? Is there something that you're using as um, a self-care, um, you know, uh, app or something? Is there something that is inspiring you right now that you would like to share with us? I mean, I'll just dive in and say that I wept my literal eyeballs out for about an hour and a half the other night watching the Spring Awakening documentary. <laughs> Those you've known on HBO, um, it gave me such chills because I feel like that's where like we're headed right now and like putting up our new work for the first time and hoping that it'll hit a nerve and just to, like to see those actors at such a young age, um, you know, and it just like, it opened up such a world for them. And it, and it was, it was such exciting theater. And uh, I don't know, I just like, it was a show that meant so much to me at 19. The fact that it came out on the day after Roe v. Wade, that whole news broke, um, it it was a uh, it was a very uh, profound experience for me watching that the other night. Um, so I highly recommend it. It like completely inspired me all over again. I would um, again in a self serving way, um, and for many of the same reasons, uh, we as a, a foursome, our next work is an adaptation of the Book Thief, which is going to go up in the UK in September, and. Um, the Book Thief is probably the most beautiful piece of writing that I've ever read. A lot of people uh, have read Marcus Zusak's book in school. It was assigned reading for many people. Turning it into a musical was both an honor and a challenge for us. Um, but we are watching history repeat itself right now. And putting that show up in the UK has been very interesting because they are a lot closer to what's going on in Ukraine than we are physically. Um, and it's very hard to to start thinking about um, themes of fascism and Nazi Germany and how words can hurt and heal uh, and not see reflections of that today in 2022. So um, I would recommend that everyone go out and read that book and then come see our show. <laughs> That's amazing. Alisa, did you have something you want to throw in? Yeah. Well, just because we mentioned her on this call, on this uh, podcast already, but our friend Morgan Siobhan Green is in Hades Town right now, and it's playing in Los Angeles, um, the tour, um, at the Amundsen Theater. So I would go see her. She's tremendous, and that would be my recommendation. Hades Town at the Amundsen Theater. And Tim, do you have one? Yes, mine is just a bit of advice, which is when I was 17 and had just started uh, California State University, Chico, go Wildcats. Um, I graduated 
And my friends graduated and we realized that no one was going to hire a bunch of dorks from Chico State to do much of anything. Not that we're dorks, but you know what I'm saying. So we started our own, we started making our own theater. So for anyone of the young people who are out there listening, the best way that you can learn the skills of of musical theater post-education is to just go and make theater. And and in that way, also, you can tell the stories that you want to tell and make the stories you want to tell. And it doesn't take a ton of money or anything. It just takes a, a lot of, of talented, fun people doing the right thing. So um, the best way that you can change the world is to tell the stories that aren't being told right now. So just go out and do it yourselves, and it'll be awesome. Tim, I love that. And I think that it's important because a lot of our listeners are educators, like the teachers in the room. Making sure that we're making space for our students to do that is so unbelievably important. I know that when I was a student, that kind of thing was discouraged, but we really need to create a blank space, an empty space for our students to to do the work that they think is important. I entered the room today feeling a little anxious. It was my opening night last night. I thought I might have COVID this morning. It's negative, so I'm okay. But like, as I stated at the beginning of the conversation, being in the room with five people, the Zoom room with five people who I love and respect it I'm leaving feeling grounded and inspired and I'm just so grateful that with your your schedules being what they are being pulled in so many directions you made space for carefully Todd in this conversation today um, I know our listeners got a lot out of it and they need to go and see the limited engagement uh, of that incredible show that it is a um, must see it is a must see you must see it. <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to be able to get to England to see The Book Thief, but I did carve out some of my money to fly to New York this summer on June 22nd. I will be at the, the Wednesday matinee. So I, I, I am just so excited. And again, thank you for making space for us and, and, and our listeners today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Have a great time with rehearsals. OMG. It's coming. OMG. So fun. Thank you, Kikau and Maddie. Thank you. Music for Carefully Taught was provided by Joshua Haig. For more information, visit joshuahaigmusic.com.